Welcome to Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. Today we'll be going back over St. Basil, his argument for the Trinity. What, however, they call some numeration. In what sense did they use this word? Cannot even be imagined without difficulty. It is well known that it was imported into our language from the wisdom of the world. But a point for our present consideration will be whether it has any immediate relation to the subject under discussion. Those who are adepts in vain investigations tell us that while some nouns are commonly and of widely extended denunciation, others are more specific, that the force of some is more limited than that of others. Acids, for instance, is a common noun, predictable of all things of both animate and inanimate, while animal is more specific, being predicated of fewer subjects than the former, though of more than those of which are considered under it. As it embraces both rational and irrational nature, again, human is more specific than animal, man than human, and the man, the individual, Peter, Paul, John. Do they mean, by some numeration, the division of the common into its subordinate parts? But I should hesitate to believe they have reached such a pitiful infatuation as to assert that God of the universe, like some common quality conceivable only by reason without actual existence in any hypostasis, is divided into subdivisions. Then this subdivision is called subnumeration. This would hardly be said even by men mad, for besides its embiety, they are establishing the very opposite argument to their contention. For the subdivisions are of the same essence as that from which they have been divided. The very obviousness of the absurdity makes it difficult for us to find arguments to confute their unreasonableness, so that really their folly looks like an advantage to them. Just as soft and yielding bodies offer no resistance, therefore cannot be struck a stout blow. Is it possible to bring a vigorous confutation to bear on palpable absurdity? The only course open to us is to pass by their abominable impiety in silence. Yet our love for the brethren and the um, opportunity of our opponents makes silence impossible. What is it they maintain? Look at the terms of their imposture. We assert that conumeration is appropriate of subjects of equal dignity and subnumeration to those which vary in direction and inferiority. Why, I rejoin, do you say this? I fail to understand your extraordinary wisdom. Do you mean that gold is numbered with gold and that lead is unworthy of conumeration, but because of the cheapness of the material, the subnumerated to gold? And do you attribute so much importance to the number as that it can either exalt the value of what is cheap or destroy the dignity of what is valuable? Therefore, again, you will number gold under the precious stones, and such precious stones as are smaller without luster under those which are larger and brighter in color. What will not be said by men who spend their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing? Let these supporters of impiety be classed for the future with Stoics and Epicureans. What enumeration is even possible things less valuable in relation to the things very valuable? How is brass to be numbered under gold? Because they reply, we do not speak of possessing two coins, but one and one. But which of these is enumerated to the other? each is similarly mentioned then you number each by itself you cause an inequality value by numbering them in the same way but if you join them you make their value one by numbering them one with the other but if the enumeration belongs to the one which is numbered second that is in the power of the counter to begin by counting the brass coin let us however pass over the confutation of their ignorance and turn our argument to the main topic do you maintain that the son is numbered under the father and the spirit under the son or do you confine your subnumeration to the spirit alone? If 
on the other hand, you apply the subdued ratio also to the sun, you revive what is the same impious doctrine, the unlikeliness of the substance, the loneliness of rank, and coming into being at a later time and once for all. By this one term, you plainly set circling all the blasphemies against the only begotten. To controvert these blasphemies would be a longer task than my present purpose admits of, and I am less bound to undertake it because the impiety has been refuted elsewhere to the best of my ability. If, on the other hand, they suppose the subnumeration to the benefit of the Spirit alone, they must be taught that the Spirit is spoken of together with the Lord in precisely the same manner which the Son is spoken of with the Father. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, is delivered in like manner, and according to the coordination of words delivered in the baptism, the relation of the Spirit to the Son is the same as the Son to the Father. But the Spirit is coordinate with the Son, and the Son with the Father. It is obvious that the Spirit is also coordinate with the Father. When then names are ranked in one and the same coordinate series, what room is there for speaking on one hand of conumeration and on the other hand subnumeration? Nay, without exception, what thing ever lost its own nature by being numbered? Is it not the fact that things when numbered remain what they naturally originally were, while number is adopted among us as a sign indicative of the plurality of subjects? For some bodies we count, some we measure, some we weigh, those which by are by nature continuous, we apprehend by measure. Those which are divided, we apply number, with the exception of those which on account of their fineness are measured. While heavy objects are distinguished by the knowledge of quantity, we have therefore changed the nature of the things signified. We do not speak of weighing under one another thing which are weighed, even though one be gold and the other tin, nor yet do we measure under things that are measured. And so in the same way, we will not number under things which are numbered. And if none of the rest of the things admits of subnumeration, how can they allege that the spirit ought to be subnumerated? Laboring as they do under heathen unsoundness, they imagine that things which are inferior, either by grade of rank or subjection of substance, ought to be subnumerated. In delivering of the formula of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, our Lord did not connect the gift with the number. He did not say, into the first second, third, nor yet into the one, two, and three. But he gave us a boon of knowledge of the faith which leads to salvation by means of holy names, so that what saves us is our faith. Number has been devised as a symbol, indicative of the quantity of objects. But these men, who bring ruin on themselves from every possible source, have turned even the capacity of counting against the faith. Nothing else undergoes any change in consequence of the addition of a number. And yet these men, in case of divine nature, pay reverence to the number, lest they should exceed the limits of honor due to the paraclete. But, O oh, wisest sirs, let the unapproachable be altogether above and beyond number. As ancient reverence of the Hebrews wrote, the unalterable name of God in peculiar characters, thus endeavoring to set forth its infinite excellence. Count if you must... But you must not, by counting, do damage to the faith. Either let the ineffable be honored by signs, or let holy things be counted consistently with true religion. There is one God and Father, one only begotten, and one Holy Ghost. We proclaim each of the hypostases singly, and when count we must, we do not let an ignorant arithmetic carry us away to the idea of the plurality of gods. For we do not count by the way of addition, gradually making increase from unity to multitude, saying one, two, and three, nor yet first, second, and third. For I, God, am the first, and I am the last. Isaiah 44, 6. 
Here the two, we never even at the present time heard of a second God worshiping as we do God of God. We both confess the distinction of the persons and at the same time abide by the monarchy. We do not fritter away the theology in a divided plurality, because one form, so as to say, united in the invariableness of the Godhead, is to be held in God the Father, and in God the only begotten. For the Son is in the Father, and the Father in the Son. Such is as the latter, such is the former, and such is the former, as such is the latter. And herein is unity, so that according to the distinction of the persons, both are one and one, and according to community of nature, one. How then, if one and one, there are not two gods? Because we speak of a king, and of the king's image, and not of two kings. The majesty is not cloven in two, nor are the glory divided. The sovereignty and authority over us is one, so the doxology ascribed by us is not a plural, but one. Because the honor paid to the image passes on to the prototype. Now what, in one case, the image is by reason of imitation, that in another case the sun is by nature, and as in works of art the likeness is dependent on the form. So in the case of the divine and uncomprehended nature, the union consists in the communion of the Godhead. One, moreover, is the Holy Spirit, and as we speak of him singly, conjoined as he is to one Father through the Son, through himself completing the adorable and blessed Trinity, of him the intimate relationship to the Father and the Son is sufficiently declared by the fact that his is not being ranked in the plurality of creation, but being spoken of singly, for he is not one of many, but one. For as there is one Father, one Son, so there is one Holy Ghost. He is consequently as far removed from created nature, as reason requires the singular to be removed from the compound of plural bodies. He is in such wise united to the Father and to the Son, as unit has affinity with unit. And it is not from the source alone that our proofs of the natural communion are derived, but from the fact that he is moreover said to be of God, not indeed in the sense in which all things are of God, but in the sense of proceeding out of God, not by generation like the Son, but as breath of his mouth. But in no way is the mouth a member, nor the spirit breath that is dissolved, but the word mouth is used so far as it could be appropriate to God. The Spirit is a substance having life, gifted with supreme power of sanctification. Thus the close relation is made plain, while the mode of ineffable existence is safeguarded. He is moreover styled Spirit of Christ as being by nature closely related to him. Wherefore, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Hence he alone worthily glorifies the Lord. For it is said, he shall glorify me, not as a creature, but as the Spirit of truth. Clearly showing forth the truth in himself and as the spirit of wisdom, his own greatness revealing Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And as the paraclete, he expresses in himself the goodness of the paraclete who sent him, and his own dignity manifests the majesty of him of whom he proceeded. There is then, on one hand, natural glory, as light is the glory of the sun, and on the other, a glory bestowed judicially and of free will, ab extra. On them that are worthy, the latter is twofold, a son. It is said, honors this, his father, the servant, his master, Malachi one six. Of these two, the one, the servile, is given by the creature, the other, which may be called intimate, is fulfilled by the spirit. For as our Lord said of himself, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. So of the paraclete, he says, you shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. 
And as the Son is glorified of the Father when he says, I have both glorified it, and it will glorify me again, so is the Spirit glorified through his communion with both the Father and the Son, through the testimony of the only begotten. He says, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. Matthew twelve thirty one. And when by means of the power that enlightens us, we fix our eyes on the beauty of the image of the invisible God, through the image are led to, up to the supreme beauty of the spectacle of the archetype. Then I ween is with us inseparably the spirit of knowledge in himself bestowing on them that love, the vision of the truth, the power of beholding in the image, not making the exhibition from without, but in himself leading on to the full knowledge. No man knows the Father save the Son, and so no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. For it is not said through the Spirit, but by the Spirit, and God is the Spirit, and that they worship Him, must worship Him in spirit and truth. As it is written, in your light shall we see light, mainly by the illumination of the Spirit, the true light which lights every man that comes into the world, John 1, nine, results that in himself he shows the glory of the only begotten. And on true worshippers, he in himself bestows the knowledge of God. Thus the way of knowledge of God lies from the one Spirit, through the one Son, to the one Father. And conversely, the natural goodness and inherent holiness, the royal dignity, extend from the Father through the only begotten Son to the Spirit. Thus there is both acknowledgment of the hypostasis, and the true dogma of the monarchy is not lost. They, on the other hand, who support their subnumeration, by talking first, second, third, ought to be informed that into the undefiled theology of Christians, they are importing a polytheism of heathen error. No other result can be achieved by the failed device of subnumeration than the confession of a first, second, and third God. For us is sufficient the order prescribed by the Lord. He who confesses his order will be no less guilty of transgressing the law than our impious heathen. Enough has been said now to prove, in contravention of their error, that the communion of the nature is in no wise dissolved by the manner of subnumeration. Let us, however, make a concession to our contentious and feeble-minded adversary, and grant that it is second to anything in spoken of subnumeration to it. But let us see what follows. First man, it is said, is of earth the earth. Second man is the Lord from heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 47. Again, that which was not first, which is spiritual, that which is natural, and afterward, that which is spiritual. If then the second is subnumerated to the first, and, and the subnumerated is inferior in dignity to that which it was subnumerated, according to you, the spiritual is inferior in honor to the natural, and the heavenly man to the earthly. Be it so, it is rejoined, but glory is by no means so absolutely due to the Spirit as to require his exaltation by us in doxologies. Whence then could we get demonstrations of the dignity of the Spirit passing all understanding? Philippians 4 7. If his communion with the Father and Son were not reckoned by our opponents as good for testimony of his rank, it is at all events possible for us to arrive to a certain extent at intelligent apprehension of the subility of his nature and his unapproachable power by looking at the meaning of his title, and at the magnitude of his operations, and by his good gifts bestowed on us rather than all creation. He is called Spirit, as God is the Spirit, the breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord. He is called Holy, as the Father is holy and the Son is holy, for to the creature holiness was brought in from without. To the Spirit, holiness is the fulfillment of nature, and it is for this reason that he is described not as being sanctified, 
but as sanctifying. He is called good, as the Father is called good. And he who was begotten of the good is good, and to the Spirit his goodness is essence. He is called upright, as the Lord is upright, in that he himself is truth, and himself righteousness. Having no divergence, nor leaning to one side or to the other, on account of the mutability of his substance, he is called paraclete, like the only begotten, as he himself says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Thus names are borne by the Spirit in common with the Father and the Son. He gets these titles from his natural and close relationship. For what other source could they be derived? Again, he is called royal, Spirit of truth, Spirit of wisdom, Spirit of God, it is said, has made me. And God filled Basil with the divine Spirit of wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Such names as these are super eminent and mighty but they do not transcend his glory and his operations what are they for majesty ineffable and for numbers innumerable how shall we form a conception of what extends beyond ages what were his operations before the that creation whereof we can conceive how great the grace which he conferred on creation what power exercised by him over the ages to come? He existed, he pre-existed, he co-existed with the Father and Son before the ages. It follows that even if you could conceive of anything beyond the ages, you will find a spirit yet further above and beyond. And if you think of creation, the powers of the heavens were established by the spirit. The establishment being understood to refer to the disability to fall away from good. For it is from the spirit that the powers derive their close relationship to God, their inability to change to evil. And their continuance in the blessedness. Is it Christ's advent? The Spirit is the forerunner. Is there an incarnate presence? The Spirit is inseparable. Working of miracles, the gifts of healing, are through the Holy Spirit. Demons were driven out by the Spirit of God. The devil was brought to naught by the presence of the Spirit. Remission of sins was by the gift of the Spirit. For you were washed and you were sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit of our God. There is close relationship with God through the Spirit. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Galatians 4.6 The resurrection of the dead is effected by the operation of the Spirit. For you send forth your Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Here creation may be taken to mean the bringing of the departed life again. How mighty is not the operation of the Spirit? Who is to us the dispenser of the life that follows on the resurrection and attunes our souls to the spiritual life beyond? For if hereby creation is met, the change to a better condition of those who in this life have fallen into sin. For so understood, according to the usage of Scripture, as in the words of Paul, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The renewal which takes place in this life, and the transmission from our earthly and sensuous life to heavenly conversation, which takes place in us through the Spirit, then our souls are exalted to the highest pitch of admiration. These thoughts before us, we are to be afraid of going beyond due bounds and the extravagance of the honor we shall pay. Shall we not rather fear, lest even though we seem to give him the highest names, which the thoughts of man can conceive or man's tongue can utter, we let our thoughts about him fall too low. It is the spirit which says, as the Lord says, get you down, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Acts 10.20 Are these words of an inferior? Of one in dread, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Acts thirteen two. Does a slave speak thus? 
Then Isaiah, the Lord God, and the Spirit have sent me. The Spirit came down from the Lord and guided them. And pray, do not again understand by the guided some humble servants. For the word witnesses that it was the work of God. You led your people, it is said, like a flock. You that leads Joseph like a flock. He led them on safely so that they fear not. Thus when you hear that when the Comforter has come, he will put you in remembrance and guide you into all truth. Do not misrepresent the meaning. But it is said he makes intercession for us. It follows then that the suppliant is inferior to the benefactor, so far as the spirit inferior in dignity to God. But have you never heard concerning the only begotten that he is at the right hand of God, which also makes intercession for us? Do not then, because the spirit is in you, if indeed he is at all in you, or yet because he teaches us who were blinded, guides us to the choice of what profits us. Do not for this reason allow yourself to be deprived of the right and holy opinion concerning him. For to make the loving kindness of your benefactor a ground of ingratitude, where indeed a very extravagant unfairness grieve not the Holy Spirit, hear the words of Stephen, the first fruits of the martyrs, when he reproaches the people for their rebellion and disobedience. You do always resist the Holy Spirit. And again, Isaiah, they fixed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy. Isaiah 63.10 In another passage, the house of Jacob angered the Spirit of the Lord. Are not these the passages indicative of an authoritative power? I leave it to the judgment of our readers to determine what opinions we ought to hold when we hear these passages. Whether we are to regard the Spirit as an instrument, a subject, an equal rank, the creature, and a fellow servant of ourselves. Whether, on the other contrary, to the ears of the pious, the mere whisper of this blasphemy is not most grievous. Do you call the Spirit a servant? What is said, the servant knows not what the Lord does, and yet the Spirit knows the things of God as the Spirit of man that is in him. And with that, we're going to leave off with St. Basil today, arguing for the, the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does for us, uh, the part he plays in the, whole, the Holy Trinity it's a bit of fascinating uh, argument, you know, he kind of has to defend the father, has to defend the son, but really this key defense seems to be for the spirit and the divinity of the spirit. It is clear to me that whoever he was responding to obviously did not believe the Holy Spirit to be divine, which is interesting. It's a bit of a different position than some of the people who deny the Trinity have to today. Um, most people would identify as the spirit as something approximating from the father of the same substance you know like like literally like they are the same thing um so they wouldn't deny that the holy spirit is god they just wouldn't identify him as a person which is interesting but it seems like that was kind of like a more subtle argument that they were making and that basically in arguing that the son and the holy spirit are not of the same quality as the father Therefore, they're less than and something other. And his whole argument is contrary to that, basically. So I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you for listening to Voices of Church Pass. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. If you like the show and you want to support the show, please go subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Get the word out of the show. Go on to Anchor FM. Please like the podcast. As you can hear, I have bought a microphone, I have bought a computer, 
And I plan on really getting better at like doing the production and stuff like that and getting better with using a microphone with a pop filter and stuff like that. It's been quite a while since I've had like access to really good equipment. So apologize if there's any rough stuff in there. Until next time, may the Lord persevere you steadfast in one true faith given unto the saints everlasting. May I one day, brothers and sisters in Christ, stand with you in the presence of my Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, free from sin, free from death, perfect unity, able to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we ought to, and in really praise the Holy Trinity for all in eternity. Till then, God bless.